We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The folks who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make this show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to ListenerQ, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com forward slash pull up and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash pull up. That's ListenerQ.com slash pull up. To get swept is embarrassing, man. It's tough. It's unfortunate. But it's a part of life. You know, sometimes things don't go as planned. Uh, you have ideas of how you want something to happen. And a lot of times a curveball gets thrown at you. AD is a monster, man. He can guard one through five. He's long, he's athletic, he can handle the pill. When he's healthy and on the court, man, he's, he's a problem. His step back is ridiculous. And whenever you have a move that they debate is illegal in terms of, you know, saying travel and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> you're reaching new heights and levels when, when people are starting to, you know, try to figure out if it's even legal. Welcome back to the fourth official episode of Pull Up. I'm CJ McCollum. George Schultz, the homie, will be joining us shortly. But first, recap of the season. It was a tough weekend for us as a team, tough weekend for me. Uh, the season came to an end unexpectedly. Uh, we were swept by the New Orleans Pelicans. They, they played a great series. We competed, uh, gave up home court advantage, ended up losing two games on the home court, and they went on the road and didn't get much better for us. And... Uh, you know, it's unfortunate. It's tough. It's never how you envision the season going. You have all these plans, these goals, these aspirations. You put so much of your your thought process, your effort, your energy, your focus into the game, into the season, into preparation, and to, to get swept. It's embarrassing, man. It's tough. It's unfortunate. But it's a part of life. You know, sometimes things don't go as planned. Uh, you have you have ideas of how you want something to happen, and a lot of times a curveball gets thrown at you. And this is definitely a curveball, but um, for now, it's time to refocus. Uh, Got to take some time to kind of digest everything, add exit interviews, exit physicals, uh, stuff like that. The last couple of days, the weather is beautiful in Oregon right now, 70-plus um, degrees, sun is shining. So that's something to kind of look forward to, but it's just tough. Your, your rhythm is thrown off. Your, your day-to-day planning, used to driving to the facility every day, so now it's like trying to avoid the facility, trying not to work out, trying to give my body a break and take some time away uh, to rest after an extremely long season. Good thought there, CJ. I appreciate the candor, man, and definitely want to dive more into what went down against New Orleans during the sweep and how everything fell apart, if you will. I wish I knew what happened and what went wrong. I wish I knew. I think in some games everything went wrong. In other games it was small things, loose balls, turnovers at the wrong time, missed free throws, poor possessions down the stretch, not getting stops when you need stops, um, not making threes, missing wide open jumpers. I think we led the we led the NBA playoffs in passes for open jump shots. So being able to get the jump shot is great, but then you got to make it, and it's a miss or make league. No excuses, things of that nature. But we just had to be better overall, and we weren't. And you can't lose on your home court to start the playoffs. You know, you can't can't give up that home court so early. And we did that. We relished that, and they jumped. They pounced on the opportunity to get up, and took advantage of uh, some games at home. So I think that was the unfortunate start and events to our series. But it's the reality of things, and 
um, you can't you can't go back now. All you can do is learn from it, move forward, and, and try to get better for the next year, which is always the plan. When do you put the season behind you and just start to focus on your summer, enjoying your time off, getting back in the gym? How long does it take you to get over it? Are you already over it? I put the season behind me, man, because there's nothing I can do about it now. And now I have to kind of enjoy these rest days and remove myself from the games, from the from the injuries, from everything I went through. And when it's time to start working out again, which I usually take 21, 20, 21 days off, no basketball, shoot some free throws maybe in between, but hot yoga, um, acupuncture, things to kind of let my body recover, soul cycle. Uh, things of that nature to kind of get sweats in, but I got I got to get off get off the knees. Too much pounding over the course of the year led the mile, led the league in miles again for the third straight year. So I got to remove myself. And then once it's time to watch film, break things down before I start working out again, I will attack, and I will attack in in a fierce, fiery way. New CJ on the way. Just wait on it. <laughs> and I hate to use myself and my name in third person, but I did. Well, I'm learning things left and right here. I did not know you were a soul cycle guy. I thought you were a flywheel guy. I'm not um, a flywheel guy. Shout out to Soul Or a cycle. Peloton, man. Shout out to Soul Shout out to Soul Cycle. Shorty put me on. Shout out to Especially when they play J. Cole. Hey, and, man. Uh, shout out to Bikram um, Yoga and Power of Shout out to the pull-up. Shout out to pull-up. Shout out to all the ladies out there and the, and the men out there who aren't afraid to get jiggy with it in uh, Bikram Yoga and the Power of Vinyasa. So, without further ado, Jordan, let's briefly talk about social media and some of the things we've seen in these last couple days, more specifically today. Absolutely. See, I, I, I wonder for you what the balance is. And, you know, LeBron is the best player in the world, right? And he's the one that goes zero dark 30, 23, whatever you call it, and says no to social media during the playoffs. Right. What's the most important part about balancing? And how do you do it? Yeah, I think it's different for everybody. Um, obviously, you're more locked in during the playoffs and you're focusing in on the scouting report, the game plan at hand. You're watching a lot more film, and time is of the essence, so to speak. But I think it's also important that people keep a, a similar routine. You know, whatever you normally do, you should do those things. Obviously, there's more attention, more focus, more treatment, and energy going into one playoff series, one team with specific assignments. But I think it's tough for people because there's no real difference in the game. The game doesn't really change that much. There's just more cameras, as I told Zach Collins early in the playoffs. I said, it's just like you're back in Vegas in the gym hooping with your homies, except there's more cameras and more emphasis on the importance of each game. But I think it's hard to avoid rumors, opinions, people with thoughts, because even if you get rid of your social media, does that mean you're not watching TV? So do you just keep your TV off, don't watch any sports channels, you can't listen to any talk radio? Even if you're listening to HM and in some of those other radio stations, Sirius XM, there's always opinions and thoughts on games and basketball games. And if you're in the NBA, in the playoffs, chances are you're being mentioning at some point. So it's hard. I think unless you live under a rock, you can't avoid certain things. You just have to be headstrong, understanding that um, you're an NBA player. Some people are going to like your game. Some people are going to hate your game. Regardless of where you're at in life, there's going to be haters and people who, who pick you up. It's up to you to filter it, and that will affect your day-to-day, and that's kind of how I approach it. Well, See, I wonder, like, if LeBron's going completely silent and you basically went silent, then you leave yourself – open almost to more criticism because now you can't respond <laughs> to all the haters. So now they're going to come out even more. And then after the playoffs are over, so for you the playoffs are over, now you have this avalanche of people coming at you saying, CJ, and today, CJ can't create his own shot. Uh, <laughs> we should trade CJ. All this <laughs> hatred, this vitriol, these, these questions, 
So that's what I almost feel like to what you're saying, oh, do do what you do normally, then maybe it's worth just doing and maximizing social media during the season and then perhaps toning it down but not going completely radio silent in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I didn't go completely radio silent. I still posted on Instagram. I still did some things on Twitter. But right. it's just about not trying to engage and argue with people. Like I don't want to waste energy and just have negative vibes, negative connotations around myself i try to be as positive as possible and you don't want to let that stuff seep into your brain what you put out and what you receive is kind of you know what you put out into the world so uh just not trying to argue with people you know obviously watching the playoffs right as the, as the games are going on and you comment about certain things or you might retweet something that you think is funny or whatever the case may be but there's always going to be people who like you and people who hate you and some people who are just fans are trying to get a reaction so when i tweet about like meek mill being free you know shout out to meek mill for you know being released um today you know happy for him obviously he was in a very unfortunate situation but then people were talking about like like you're free or uh some such and such had you locked up or whatever the case may be and then you know it becomes more of a, a situation where i told him i got a lot of time on my hands right now as you know we got swept there's a whole summer left i can't work out for a certain amount of time anyway because i'm under this rest this rest and recovery protocol so what am i to do Besides go on Twitter and argue with people and, and kind of have fun, make light of Just certain eat situations. And drink and, wine. <laughs> yeah, like somebody asked me if I was tweeting from Drew Holiday's pocket. And I said, no, I'm tweeting from my Benz. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I left my Aston at home. And, you know, it was just, you know, a joke, like funny. Like he was funny and I was funny. I thought it was a good joke. And there was a lot of pretty funny jokes to where someone said that Drew Holiday has the title of my car. And I was like, oh, that's pretty funny. Like that was a good one. But it's life, man. I think that you have to enjoy it and, and take the good with the bad and understand that, you know, life could be a lot worse. I said on Twitter that I think not only does Meek Mill go to the Sixers game, Courtside. but this dude should be an honorary coach, sit him <laughs> next to Brett Brown, have him give the pregame speech, and put him in charge of Joel Embiid's mask. I mean, th- <laughs> this is an opportunity for the Philly, for the Philadelphia crowd. I mean, can you imagine how electric – it's going to be for them throughout the playoffs now with him in attendance? Oh, it's going to be shaking. And I think this is an elimination game potentially tonight uh, as of Tuesday. So if Meek can make it to the game in time, obviously he's just getting out of jail after five months. So he has to he better, you know, go home. He's got to see his kids. He's got to see his family, things of that nature, and still try to make it to the arena. I don't know, by 7 Eastern time, so it's going to be close. But if he does make it to the game, I'm sure he'll be courtside by the owner of the Sixers and Kevin Hart. And they're, they're planning to have him, uh, what is it, strike the, strike the bell or whatever the case may be for the start the of the Liberty game. The Liberty Bell, yeah. Yeah, so I would imagine it's going to be rocking for the rest of the, the playoffs. And uh, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that he was locked up during the, uh, champ- the Super Bowl run for the, for the Philadelphia Eagles. All right, so the East is loaded, um, or at least crazy right now, because you got Cleveland and Boston dealing with whatever they're dealing with. You got Indiana, who doesn't necessarily want to take hold of this series. I thought they had a great opportunity in Game Four. Who, who's going to make it out of the East, CJ? Man, that is such a tough question. I think it's always hard to doubt. You know, the zero dark thirty man um, with his ability to take over games empower his teammates influence you know others around him to where people are trying to get him to get technical fouls you know Lance is playing games with them and trying to you know get in his head so you look at them look at the Raptors who could be on the ropes right now in their series with the Wizards you know John and Brad finding their stride and 
Gortat had a funny quote. When he plays the right way, he's the best point guard in the NBA. And I thought that was pretty funny. Um, I think Gortat, the Polish <laughs> hammer. Polish hammer taking shots. I think Sixers, Cavs, Wizards, anybody could get out of there, man, honestly. But see, I would make the argument that LeBron right now, I don't want to say he's disconnected, but something, there is more than just frustration. Even in game four, when, and obviously now he's he's he has a triple-double and he's playing great. I just, I don't see a guy that's as comfortable as he was in the playoffs, let's say, last year. Is that an over? Is that an overreaction? Yeah, I think you're overreacting. Uh, he's not okay. necessarily as comfortable because he lost game one for the first time in like seven years. So there may have been some discomfort because it was something he wasn't used to. But in terms of his play, I mean, he's ridiculous. 30, 12, 6, whatever. He's, he's stuffing the stat sheet. It's ridiculous what he's doing. And the amount of energy, effort, and exertion he goes through every playoffs. He's leading his team in every statistical category, essentially, buying suits for the guys. He's doing everything. He's essentially, besides flying the plane and driving the bus to the arena, he has to do everything for that team to keep them afloat. So it's an interesting situation where it's like, as Raymond said it before, he played 82 games this year, and this is his 15th year in the league. Like As long as his body holds up and he's able to perform down the stretch, make free throws, create, and defend, I don't see who's going to beat them in the Eastern Conference. It goes for 32-13-7 in game four. I still think we have like a Rodney Hood game where he's going to explode. I feel like we have a J.R. Smith game. doesn't mean it's going to be in this series, but he's going to get a big contribution from one of those guys, I think, in game five. And they need it because Cleveland's, you know, they're, they're very reliant, obviously, on LeBron, and, and they, the ancillary guys haven't played great. They were better in game four. I, I think, you know, we talk about these great players right now, LeBron, you know, KD, uh, DeMar DeRozan goes for 35. We talked about John Wall and, and Seth's coming back. But is there anybody in the league playing better right now than Anthony Davis? Because for my money, <laughs> right now, he's the best player in the NBA. Too soon. Uh, yeah, AD is a monster, man. He's, he's a monster. He's able to do essentially everything on the court. He can guard one through five. He's long. He's athletic. He can handle the pill. He can shoot mid-range. He got fadeaways. He got post moves. He can dunk, spin lobs, trail threes. So, I mean, your argument is very valid. I think you look at his production throughout the season, throughout his career, when he's healthy and on the court, man, he's he's a problem. Yeah, but and that's part of what is being great, right? Like LeBron's available. He's always on the floor. Right. Um, Kawhi and, hasn't played 70 70- – Kawhi hasn't played 75 games his whole career. That's going to be the issue with him, with somebody wanting to commit long-term to him. Oh, they're going to, they're going a to guy commit like Anthony Davis. <laughs> they're going to commit But, I mean, it, is it going to be San Antonio or somebody else? Like, San Antonio has to think about that. At least think about it. They ain't going to think about it, man. They, it, he's, he's getting off with the max. <laughs> okay, but part of what makes you great is being available, being on the floor. LeBron's on the floor I think we're past the Anthony Davis's fragile argument, and now he's playing like a superstar. I'm not saying he's better than LeBron, but he's there's nobody playing better right now, right? And, I would and agree. You saw it first. I hand. would agree that his impact on that team and what he's able to do is unmatched right now. I haven't seen people. I mean, obviously LeBron does everything, but I'm saying from a perspective of being able to watch up close, he's a problem. He is a serious problem. How does he compare to? 
and I know we've talked about this off the record or, or before the show, if you will, but, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, I've been on the Carl Anthony Towns train forever. You're on the, and you're on the bandwagon. Been, I'm on the cat bandwagon since I saw him play against USA as a teenager at the Garden. I like Towns, but it's not close. It, it's not. Yeah, what's close. going on? I like him. I like Towns. I think he's going to be a great player. He's an all-star caliber player and terrific in his own right, but um, it's not close. Anthony Davis is, is on a different stratosphere right now than a lot of big men in the league, and his his versatility, consistency, and ability to dominate is is unlike anything I've seen, honestly. And I'm not just saying that because we just played him. Even if we would have won in six, I would have still been saying the same thing. Like, Anthony Davis is a problem. And I think Cat has a talent and ability to get there, but he ain't there right now. He's not on Anthony Davis' level right now, in my eyes. Davis runs the floor and has a fluidity about him that nobody else in the league has. And, and Towns is a good athlete. There is a lot to like there, but Davis is... You know, he you know, people might forget he was a six foot two point guard as a sophomore in high school, had the crazy growth spurt. Now he's seven feet. You talk about the trail threes. I mean, he's he's he can trail three, he can switch onto ones, he can do everything. Is there anything he can't do? <laughs> I mean, you said it. He's his versatility, he's spin he's a spin lob threat every possession, so if you try to deny him the ball in front of the post, you know Rondo's making eye contact or Drew's making eye contact, and he's spinning off. And once he spins off, help side can't get there because they're throwing a ball to where only he can get it. So it's it's a problem. And then once he does catch the ball, he's face he got the face up game, back to the basket, one leg floaters, uh, one leg jump shots, shimmy fades, face you up and go to work with, with in and out crossover left to right, right to left, whatever whatever the case may be. He's got the whole package. Okay, so here's this. Next 10 years, 12 years, you're building a franchise. Anthony Davis or Greek Freak? Uh, it's two different, two different positions, man. I think it just depends on... I understand it, but it number just, one pick, you got to pick one. You got to pick one? Ah, man. I'm going Greek Freak. You're going Greek Freak? He's in my draft class. I like, I like Giannis' game, but... Ah, man. I think when you, get, when you got a chance to get a, a center... <laughs> Uh, a life-changing right. center, you take it. Even though Giannis could play basically one through five, I think that uh, if you got a chance to get a center, you take a center. But you can't go wrong with either one, honestly. That's fair. They're, both, they're both very dominant and would be dominant for years to come. That's fair. Okay, Carmelo Anthony, Oklahoma City, what I've seen from them is a team that is playing the same way they've played all year, which is isolation-based, not moving the basketball, not comfortable playing with one another down the stretch. And Carmelo goes six to twenty-four. I, I hear you laughing, but I mean, listen, at some point, like what what else can you attribute it to? Like Carmelo goes six to twenty-four on open threes in the playoffs so far. That's tough. Their their bench is limited. They don't have anybody else. It's not all gonna be on Paul George, who's played really well. And Westbrook has been outplayed to this point by Donovan Mitchell. And the numbers tell you that. 28 <laughs> on 45% shooting for Mitchell. Jeez. Westbrook, 21 on 37% shooting with double the turnovers. All right, go through the rest of them so the listeners out there really understand this, this comparison. We got 21.4% from three for Russell. 11.8 um, rebounds. Which is 12 OD. boards. Eight yeah. assists. That's incredible. Five yep. turnovers. And 5.3 turnovers. 
Yeah. Okay, I mean, now with Donovan Mitchell, who has a lesser usage rate, 28 points, 45%, and 35 from three, nine rebounds, three assists. So not, not the same assists, but the efficiency is considerably higher despite not having the ball as much. Considerably higher. I think there's two things. One, Donovan Mitchell is a monster. He's playing extremely well. He's aggressive. He's attacking. He's getting downhill. Uh, in the regular season, Utah led the NBA in pick and rolls. So he gets pick and rolls with space. He's got Joe Ingles, who's arguably the best shooter in the NBA this year from a percentage standpoint, 44% catch and shoot. They added Crowder. They added uh, Gobert. He's back. You know, after his injury, they have one of the best records in the NBA, you know, since, I don't know, January, whatever the case may be. Favors is playing extremely well. And then you got Ricky Rubio, who triple-doubled on Russell Westbrook um, last game, causing Russell to say he's going to shut that SHIT down. And um, you look at the, the offensive structure. Oklahoma City runs a lot of one-on-one, a lot of ISO. Russell might come down and back somebody down. PG comes off pin downs. He catches it. It's stagnant. He has to go one-on-one. Or Melo shooting trail threes or pick-and-pop threes. Utah Jazz has more of an equal opportunity offense to where it's San Antonio-based pick-and-rolls, swing, strong, 77s. Um, a lot of different actions to where – the ball's in different people's hands. They're making the skip pass. They're, they're hitting the roll replace. They're hitting the roll man. And um, everybody seems to be involved. And I think that's the difference. Obviously, Melo's not going to shoot 6 of 24 on a wide open threes much longer in the playoffs. And the, the tide will turn. But they're going to need pr- production from players outside of Melo, PG, Russ. The role players are what swing, swing the games. Um, you look at how, how imp- impactful Favors has been. Joe Ingles has been huge. You know, his plus minus is ridiculous in this series. So the role players will play a crucial role going forward on whether or not this series gets closed out in, in uh, five. Would it be, it'd be 4-1 after the next game, so in five games. CJ, break down what you mean when you say with, with Utah and how it's more equal opportunity. Is that Are you talking about ball movement, uh, off the ball, yeah. staggered screens? I'm talking about everything. Can you just explain that? Yeah. Yeah, Utah. Utah's one of the one of the teams in the NBA that sets a lot of pick and rolls. Everything expires in pick and roll, and they move the ball around. They have a lot of passes per possession where Rubio might pass ahead to Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell might, you know, force the action a little bit, try to press, get downhill. He has nothing. He backs it out. He swings it back to Rubio. Rubio might swing it to Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles might wave up. Gobert doesn't like it. He swings it back to Mitchell mid-pick and roll. That's a long possession to where, you know, maybe three, four people touch the ball. Everybody's involved. Everybody has an opportunity to kind of create something. They don't like it. You get it back to your best player, which is Donovan Mitchell, and let him get downhill and create, whether he's creating for himself or for others, the attention is on him. There's eyes on him. And then he's able to make those cross-court passes. The Joe Ingles kind of loosens up the defense. And then those driving angles kind of open back up because you got to respect the shooter. And then when Donovan Mitchell gets tired, he can get off the ball. And that's when he becomes just as dangerous because there's still eyes on him. Defense is loaded up towards him, and Rubio's coming off a mid-pick and roll. And you got Joe Ingles, 44%, three-point shooter in the corner. you got Donovan Mitchell averaging 28, 9, and 4 in the playoffs as a rookie, you know, scoring as many points as Jordan in his first playoff. And it's open. The the guys don't know what to do on the other team. It's like, do we leave a 44% three-point shooter? Or do we let Diamond Mitchell get a catch where he can come downhill at us? Or do we help on Rubio and give up the lob to go Burt? So there's just so many different options out there to where they're a tough matchup. And I've seen Kevin Durant discuss it briefly. They beat beat the Warriors by 30 and 40 this year. They're not not a joke. They're They're the real deal. They're basically 19-28 without Gobert, Utah, 32-7 and with him. And to your point about 
Oklahoma City having a stagnant offense. They went, this is in game four, uh, which they lost. They went 22 minutes and nine seconds Jeez. of game time without recording an assist. And you watch Utah and what Quinn Snyder has done and, and the energy they play, the way they play for each other. The ball is swinging now, right, from from side to side, making the defense actually make a decision, an adjustment, moving the defense. Oklahoma City, to what you said, they, they don't, they just don't have it. And I thought what Russell Westbrook made it about him when he said after game three he was going to shut Rubio down. Then he picks up four fouls in the first half and then says after, it's not about me and him. So there's just a lot of drama. And you know what? Like, I listen to that. I'm like, well, Russell, you made it about you and him. And it's just it's one thing after another with this team. Yeah, they're going through a lot right now. There's a lot of stress in the air, a lot of pressure. There's rumors, you know. They got Paul George sitting on the bench, and one of the, one of the captions was, "Should I live on the water or in the hills when I move to LA?" So there's just a lot of <laughs> there's just a lot of stuff going. There's on There's that right social now. media right there. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on right now, and it's it's tough when things are going wrong. Who do they blame? They don't blame the bottom of the totem pole. They go to the top and look at the top and try to cut the head off the snake. So look for them to be better in the next game, obviously with their backs against the wall and, and facing elimination. Uh, they'll bring the juice at home. The, the crowd will be into it, and it'll be interesting to, to see what happens going forward, not only with that organization with pending free agency, but uh, with this current series. Yeah, no, I, I think they'll get game five. I, I thought Utah would win this series, and they'll, they, they should win in, in six, I would imagine, at home. And, and you said it. In, in knowing firsthand that they, that's one of the best home courts in the league, um, not only because it of is. the the air, but just because they they play with a different energy and pop. And you saw it in game game four with Ingles going off and staring down Paul George. He's not doing it on the road. He's doing that at home with his crowd with Mitt Romney taunting Russell Westbrook. <laughs> that was funny seeing Mitt Romney. That was hilarious. But you're right. I think you hit it right on the head. So let's skip the beat a little bit. We got a game to play called Pick Your Poison, right? I'm fired up about this. Um, this is an opportunity for you to break down two players who's harder to guard. And we'll start with this series. I'm going to give you <laughs> two guys and three different things they do. So we're going Westbrook or Donovan Mitchell. One, who is harder to guard and pick and roll. Two, who is scarier in transition You know, with a full head of steam. And then three, who is the more dangerous pull-up jump shooter. Oh, man, that's tough. Uh, I'd say right now, if you look at based on this series, Donovan Mitchell has been harder to guard in pick and roll. Uh, he's doing a great job of mixing up his finishes uh, around the basket, mid-range floaters. He's got a nice floater, and uh, he loves to to back out you know, in isolation situations, back out, create space, similar to Mono Ginobili. Gets close to half court, and then he comes charging at you full speed, try to get the ball in that right hand. And a lot of times, it's right-to-left crossover or two dri- two hard dribbles right, change the direction with either a spin move or uh, behind the back or quick between. So I think right now in pick and roll, Donovan's been more effective and efficient based on the spacing and how he's playing. In transition, I don't, I don't use the term scary because you know, I ain't scared of nobody. And this is a this is the no boys allowed league. But in terms of getting ahead of speed, who's more efficient and effective in transition? Russell Westbrook probably because right. of his tenacity, his ability to get to the free throw line, force contact, and aggressively attacking the rim, whether that be dunks or jumping into the big's chest and, and trying to lay him that way. Aggressive and dangerous to pull up. Normally you say Russell Westbrook because he has the, the back-to-the-basket game where he kind of 
post up in situations where he waves the team. He waves the uh, the defender, the offensive player through, and isolates the defender. You know, on that twelve to twelve to sixteen foot area on the left or right wing, uh, close to the boxes, and uh, he shoots it. But right now, Donovan Mitchell's pull up has been good. You know, right to left crossover pull ups, stopping on the dime. So I would say historically, Russell Russell Westbrook. Uh, but right now, Donovan Mitchell pull-up has been very effective. That's why he's shooting like 47 or 46% from the field in this series. Yeah, they, they have similar things they do, right? I mean, they're both about 6'4", great athletes. I think Westbrook plays with a little more pace, but can't you see that comparison as a, as a whole? I mean, Mitchell more off the ball a little bit, but both of those guys have can do a lot of the same things. And, and I would make the argument that Mitchell is one of the few guys in the league you can compare athletically on the wing to, to Westbrook. Yeah, I see some similarities, but like you said, it's only one year in for him, so the pace will come, the game will slow down, uh, he'll be able to right. change speeds a lot better. I think there's more Dwayne Wade in his game. Um, young D, okay. like young D yeah. Wade, when he was a lot of mid-range, slashing to the basket, Euro step dunking on people. Now D Wade's more smooth and, and relaxed and laid back, but younger D Wade was crazy aggressive energized steals blocks that's why he leads the the franchise in there in essentially every category he, he's the best maybe with michael jordan shooting guard shot blocker ever i mean the guy is yeah. he was he was a rim protector at six four it's crazy it's crazy how explosive he is and you know? was speaking of the euro we're going chris paul or james harden okay <laughs> pick and roll who's better two chris paul's mid-range pull-up or the harden step back and three, the CP3 floater or the Harden Euro. So number one, pick and roll. Man, that's tough. Chris Paul's been the master of pick and roll for years. Uh, his ability to get to the mid-range, you know, kind of snaking it back, holding holding the big behind him. So it, historically, Chris Paul. But right now, I think James' ability to finish around the basket is better because of his size. And he's unorthodox with that left hand. He likes to get to that left hand. And it's harder to block for the bigs with the timing. Factor. So I would say the pick and roll, probably James Harden right now, but they're both efficient. They can get the ball to the weak side. They can throw that skip pass. They got shooters all around them. They got the lob threat with Capella. I think when you put both of them in the pick and roll at the same time, that's when it's really effective, when it's the 52-52 action where they have the, the five-man comes at the screen and then the guard sets the back screen on the bigs man and kind of pops. That's when they're really really effective because they got a bunch of decision makers in in one area who can shoot dribble and pass mid-range pull up and then that yeah mid-range yeah mid-range pull up or hard and step back oh man chris paul's mid-range is deadly but the hard and step back is is one of the best i've seen i think he leads the he leads the league by far and made step backs not just threes but 15 footers as well he's he's out He's outshot teams. He's got more made step-back threes than, I don't know, seven teams in the NBA this year. So I would say his step-back is ridiculous. And whenever you have a move that they debate is illegal in terms of, you know, saying travel and stuff like that, you know <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> you're reaching new heights and levels when, when people are starting to, you know, try to figure out if it's even legal. Well, he's got two of those, Harden, because then he's got that Euro, which he's patented after <laughs> Ginobili, and I would say it's one of the most deadly – moves and he does it in transition he does it in the half court so the Harden euro or the cp3 floater cp floater is very efficient effective if you look at the last you know two games ago when they played uh he did that underhand scoop and and basically touched the rafters and i uh, dropped it in so his floater is deadly he's able to 
you know, make make close and impact shots. He hit a buzzer beating floater against us and driving right off the glass. His floater is ridiculous. And Harden's Euro is is essentially unstoppable. And once again, the debate is whether he travels or not. So you know it's a very, very effective and efficient move when people try to, you know, try to knock it and bring it down a notch and, and say that it's illegal. So I would say I give the edge probably to Harden's Euro, but it's close. It's very close. We've got more pull-up in a second, but first, I want to talk to you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I just went to Cedric the Entertainer in San Antonio. It was dope. It was about a couple weeks ago. Really enjoyed it. Great laughs, not only about politicians, America, but about music, which is very important in my life. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone and have found it's very easy to use. Just a few taps. It's very easy to get seats to anything you want. If there's a major sporting event in your city, like, say, the NBA playoffs, I recommend you to check it out. I might use it to get tickets to a Browns game, a concert, another comedy show, anything, since I won't be going to the finals. Jordan, what's the last live event you bought tickets to? How about Hamilton, man? That is the best show you will ever see. Word. I'm going to have to check that out, man. I'm going to have to check that out. SeatGeek saves you time and money by showing you not only the cheapest tickets, but also the best values with their very handy seat map feature. You can get the best seat for whatever your budget is. Just give it a try. And best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code PULLUP, all one word, today. That's promo code PULLUP, all one word, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now back to the show. Switching gears, uh, one guy that is um, going to be in the news a lot this summer is Demarcus Cousins. And I think the biggest question mark with him is now that he's been injured and you've seen the success that New Orleans has had, are the Pelicans and should the Pelicans let him walk uh, in free agency? And I think pre-injury there was barely a hint of doubt that they would offer the five-year max. But now they have this playoff success I wonder for you, you look at him, what's the best line of action for New Orleans moving forward? Man, that, that's what we were thinking as we were playing them. It was the first question that comes to mind is, are they better without him? And there's no knock against Boogie. Boogie's a monster. One of the best, yeah. big, one of the best big men in the NBA. It's in the, the proof's in the pudding in the numbers. But from a spacing and team standpoint, when Boogie's not out there, that's one less guy in the paint. So the lob threat is more deadly because it's only one big down there. You have Mirchich on the three-point line spacing. And Mirchich is a catch-and-shoot guy or quick decision-maker who, whose Euro-style game fits San Antonio's system, which is like the point six, point five, where you catch it and you make a decision right away, whether that's to shoot, dribble, or pass. And Mirchich does that. I mean, he killed us in this, in this playoff series with his ability to, to catch-and-shoot, uh, post-up, smaller matchups, shoot fadeaways, quick spins, and he moved well without the ball. And I think that his ability to defend was 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 better than we anticipated. He was good in pick and rolls. He 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 handled himself well yes. in in isolation situations and wasn't really exposed when we switched uh, certain matchups. So I think the argument is 
whether or not he's a better fit for that team. And then if that's the case, if they decide that is the case, obviously playoff success goes into that. What happens in the next round and how far they go in this playoff will we'll factor in whether or not they want to spend the $200 million on Boogie, who's obviously going to have other suitors uh, attracted to him. But no slight against him. That's the homie. I think he's a very, very good player. But you just have to look at the team roster and, and try to figure out you know, what's best for that roster moving forward. And the other question mark will be, does AD want him back? If AD wants him back, it doesn't matter if he's better for the team or not. That's what's going to happen because he's the franchise and that team goes as he goes, as we've seen, you know, these last uh, seven, six or seven years. But I think going forward, they have to analyze defensively how well they are, how much, how much money they're going to have to spend and how much money would be available depending on what happens with the, with the rest of the roster. But that's a tough, tough situation to be in. And uh, we, would never, we never would have seen it if it wasn't for that terrible injury. And see, to me, that's the key is Anthony Davis. Does he want him back? Because Miritich is going to be – he's basically half the price. He made 12.5 this year. He'll make the same next year. And, and I think he is a better fit. He, he, he can guard fours. You saw him guard Nurk a little bit. He was much more effective blitzing ball screens. And obviously he can shoot the heck out of the ball. The Pelicans plus 196 – with Miritich and Davis and, and 300 fewer minutes combined over the regular season in playoffs Jeez. comparatively to, to Davis and Boogie. Uh, and, and, and by the way, that that duo is the best one-two duo in terms of points per possessions So in the league. Uh, I, I just think the bottom line is right now if you're in New Orleans, you don't have a lot of cap space. You're not going to have a lot of cap space. You don't have picks either. And, and obviously they traded Buddy Heal, another one of their lottery picks. So um, I think either you let him walk or you sign him to a movable deal and ultimately try to get something back. But I don't think you can give him a five-year max deal. And, you, and, and nobody would know better than you. You guys saw it, and you mentioned you were surprised even that, Nurk, or that uh, Miritich was able to guard at that level, right? And you, if he's already making shots, he's giving you a lot of different options, and he's a really good player. Yeah, this is a very, very interesting situation. And I think, I think success, team success, playoff success factors into decision-making with personnel moving forward. And uh, obviously Drew Holiday, Rondo, AD will have input on what they decide to do going forward. So that's something to keep an eye out on in the free agency. And if that is the case, then Boogie would jump into the market as a free agent and, and be a very hot uh, commodity and could potentially team up, don't sleep on it, with the Washington Wizards. You heard it here first. You heard that Ooh. here first. You know that. See, can, I don't. I, that Kentucky I, I, I connection, see, man. I can see that. I can see it happening. That's just, yeah, I that's just something that. to think about going forward. We stepped away from the wine cellar. We were in the playoffs. We were locked we in. We did. And obviously, you know, shout out to J. Cole, which we will talk about him in a second. I've been trying to meditate, not medicate. However, the wine is back <laughs> in rotation. And it was back in rotation last night. Ah, and we had some solid, solid pinots from Domain Serene. For those of you out there that want to look into what I was drinking last night, let me find the exact name. We had the. There you go back with that Willamette Valley, man. That is your, that is your domain. I have to, man. It's only right, man. It's only right. I would challenge you to go up to Santa Barbara or Sonoma. Oh, that's next, but um, it's it's only in rotation based on what I've done previously. And previously, as in last night, we had that 
2006 Pinot Noir Grace, which is okay. very, 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 very solid. We had the Aspect um, 13. I think it was 13 Aspect. I can't remember what the year it was. And we also had a... Damn, how much wine you've been drinking, man? It wasn't just me, man. It was a group of people, man. <laughs> Relax. No, I think it was just Relax. you. Relax. There's no way. By I yourself. Could, there's no way I could do that by myself and and still be able to uh, produce this podcast today. I I envision you drinking this these grapes by yourself, nah, nah, playing nah. a little. There was mad you know, FIFA in your in your apartment, just there was hanging mad out. Mad people involved. I don't even have a system at this house right now. But if you guys are looking to get that, check that out. Domain Domain Serene. Next topic: J Cole. Shout out to my favorite rapper. People, people out there that know me know me. J. Cole is my favorite rapper. He got me through college. Dollar in a Dream. All of that. I posted on Instagram the longest caption I've ever had in my life about my love for J. Cole, my appreciation of his music, his intellectual ability to move crowds, and the substance in his lyrics. He raps about things that we're all going through. I just feel like... I feel like everyone can kind of relate to him, man. So if you haven't gotten the album or heard the album, check it out right now. He's shattering records on iTunes, on all those other downloading sites, most downloads. He has a dope video out right now with Kevin Hart. ATM has uh, become a part of the NBA sponsorship, so you'll hear his song, ATM. Let's just briefly talk about this album for a second, man. He talks about Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart's in the song, Kevin's Heart. talks about temptation, love, relationships, everything in between, while touching on the fact that we're all humans. I think it's important that people don't get caught up in our roles in society. What, what we do for a living isn't who we are. It's what, it's what we do. And we still have feelings, emotions, and make mistakes. He has another song, Once an Addict. He talks about you know addiction, you know how his mom was drinking, and uh, how he never really understood the pain she was going through, and how it's important that... We meditate, we understand that there's other outlets besides substance abuse. And I think that's important because a lot of people go through stuff like that to where you know, they go to the bottle, they go to the marijuana, things of that nature to where we touched on it with D-Wade. Don't be afraid to get therapy, don't be afraid to get help and talk to others, it's important. And uh, as an athlete, professional athlete, I have the same stress, if not more stress, than a lot of people out there. And it's tough, but you have to find your balance, you have to figure out ways to make yourself happy and keep it moving. And lastly, one of my favorite tracks I've heard in a long, 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 long time, 1985. He's speaking that. He's speaking to me in that song, man. He's talking to me, talks about where he was born, how he was born, the importance of rap, the influence you have in rap in this game. And I send some subtle shots uh, to Lil Pump based on what I've heard. And that is my spiel on J. Cole. You can tweet at me or whatever. And I will discuss J. Cole forever and ever and ever if anybody wants to be involved in that. Question for you, Jordan, before I go to Twitter questions. Have you heard the album? And if so, what did you think of it? I have only heard part of it. And oh, it's embarrassing. Goodness. Who I, are you? I recognize that. Who I, are you? I know. A- ATM is fantastic. I appreciate J. Cole, too, because he's a hooper. And because he's just a good dude from everything you hear. And by the way, I think he's a Blazer fan now. I mean, you've created. I, I I can't think of a more endearing tribute to a rapper than that. And I didn't realize he had that kind of impact on you. I wonder now that Kendrick won a Pulitzer, do you think he could win a Pulitzer, J. Cole? I think he could win a Pulitzer because of his substance, his delivery, and what he talks about. He talks about the importance of not chasing money, you know, not doing those things, and how he went through that 
that phase of got money, moved out the hood, went to the suburbs. I live in the suburbs. The neighbors call the police on me. My house gets raided by SWAT teams. And, you know, he's in this situation where it's like a never-ending search of inner happiness. Like, how do you find inner happiness? You got money, you're buying things, and you're still not happy. And then you come to peace with yourself and realize that all those chains you bought, all those watches you bought, all that stuff you were doing with your life, was just a facade. You were following a facade. So just to be able to see his his growth and what he's gone through and, and how he got to this point is is incredible, man. And I'm I'm thankful to have met him. And I told him, I said, you changed my life. You have no idea the impact you had on my life, man. You helped me get through college. It's crazy. That's very cool. I didn't know it. Yeah. See, I'm learning about you, CJ. I did not know that. Learning new things all the time, man. People ask me about the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns have the first pick and the fourth pick. And there's a discussion about what we should do. I don't know what we should do, honestly, because it seems like we fail year in and year out. However, this year, I think we will succeed. I think we can succeed. And I think it will be important that we draft the best available. We don't have to settle for the quarterback. Take the best available. That is crucial. So you're saying take Saquon at one? If that's what if that's what we think is the best available, that's what we should do. Well, he's the best player. Everybody would agree. He he's he's a running back though, and that's not a position of demand necessarily that high typically. But the other option is draft a quarterback that another team wants, trade him, and then get Barkley, because you know one of those teams. Well, what you could yeah, one of those I teams needs saying, a quarterback. But what you could do too is, and then they're not going to do this. I've I've said for a while now. I think it's going to be Sam Darnold, but. But what do you think about the theory of taking two quarterbacks? Is that crazy? That is crazy. Unless you're going to trade one. You, I, I don't think you can do that. <laughs> well, they've had more starting quarterbacks since 1999 than anybody. Why not t- take no. two quarterbacks and develop them both? And then you can see what happens. We cannot. We, I repeat, we cannot <laughs> do that. <laughs> All right, you said you want to go to fan questions, so we'll get a couple of fan questions in, do, and then we will be close to the tip-off. So someone asked me favorite track on KOD. As you know, Once an Addict, Kevin's Heart, and 1985. I couldn't pick one. Most challenging arena to play in. Uh, Wait, let me guess. Let me guess. I would go Utah, OKC, or Denver. Pepsi Center. Mmm. In terms of breathing, definitely Utah or Denver. In terms of just like being loud and annoying and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, probably one of those. Probably one of those. For sure. But sometimes How about Philly? I like playing in Philly. It's loud. It's East Coast. It's close to Lehigh. A lot of people come out and support. I never really play well there, but I like playing there. Someone said, what do you think you most need to improve on this summer? Uh, I think just overall understanding of the game, angles, defensively figuring out schemes, how to get around screens better on ball and off ball, and just uh, just continue to figure out ways to to see the game before it happens. I think Coach Vanderpool and I talked about sight versus actually seeing. Sight is looking at something and seeing it, but then being able to understand that, all right, if I dribble this way, if I manipulate the defense this way, this is what's going to happen in terms of rotation. So sight versus actually seeing. Just trying to figure that out. Um, what summer haircut will I be rocking? That is a great, great question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with this hair. I don't know if I'm going to cut it down to a fade. I don't know if I'm going to let the curls jump off. 
I guess it's it just depends on my mood, man. I'll, I'll mood hop. Favorite restaurant on the road? I love some good pasta and I love some good steak. So just depends on what city I'm in. That'll kind of determine uh, what I'm trying to eat. And lastly, top things you miss or love about Ohio? I miss and love the people, grandma, mom, aunties, the monument stairs, Swenson's, a lot of restaurants that I enjoy back at the crib uh, and that are crucial to me. And I had like what's Swenson's. Wait, wait, hold on. What's what's Swenson's? <laughs> you got to come restaurant? to Canton, man. It's a burger joint. You got to come to Canton, man. And, and you I don't learn. eat meat, man. You don't eat meat. <laughs> no. No meat for me. You're a vegan. Just fish, basically. Oh my goodness. No, I'm like a, I'm like one of those pescatarian. I don't know what the, what they call me. Oh my goodness, that is ridiculous, man. That is ridiculous. Well, I want to thank all our listeners out there for tuning in faithfully. We just wrapped up the fourth official episode. Guests will be on the way. Just wait on it. Feel free to send requests for guests. Follow the show at Pull Up Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Insta. Shoot questions for us, please. And uh, we do laugh at the sweep jokes, although it's not funny. If you have a good joke, I will laugh and put the tear face. So, whatever. You can follow Jordan as well at Schultz underscore report. And you can follow CJ at 3J McCollum. CJ McCollum. Snap is CJM313. And lastly, almost most importantly, I got to give you guys a quote, right? Yeah, what do you got? Okay, here's my quote. This is just straight from me. When you apply yourself to whatever it is you do in life, whether that be sports, non-sports, relationships in general. All you can do is repair as best you can, work as hard as you can, and leave it all out there. And live with the result. And that's what I've done with this season. I've prepared as best as I can. I've watched film. I've broken down film, angles, ways to get better and improve. I've taken care of my body. I've sacrificed lots of time and hours, and I wouldn't change anything because I put all my heart and soul into it. And I'm living with the result and looking forward to building on next year. So that's my advice for you guys. And also, Jordan, don't forget to pull up. up.